0: I have with me today Julia Gooden, who worked as a doula for, it seems like a century, but it probably wasn't, uh, for the volunteer doula organization that I ran called Montreal Birth Companions, which actually met an untimely end in 2016 um, because of politics and weirdness and and things like that. So. Julia, just give everyone a little introduction of yourself.
1: Hello. Hi. Uh, My name is Julia Gordon and I was a volunteer doula with NBC. I think it was 10 years or ish on and off. Um, I currently live in New York City. I'm going to pharmacy school. And, yeah, I want to start by saying thank you, Rivka, for having Montreal Birth Companions in the first place, because I learned so much from dueling with you and alongside you.
0: That's the thing about it. It was such an experience, and it was something that I don't know if anyone has done the same kind of thing. So basically for our listeners, I'm going to explain what Montreal Birth Companions was. It was started in 2003. We had a, uh, I was teaching doulas at that point, and we had a, we had a volunteer portion of the course. So people had to volunteer for a certain number of hours to get the doula, to complete the doula training. And so the doulas to be started to go to uh, people's births who couldn't afford a doula, and that grew and grew and grew until actually, when I look back at the 13 years that we were running, I think we probably we probably attended about a thousand births. And if you multiply a thousand by a thousand, which was the going rate for a doula, uh, uh, averaged out. Uh, that's 1,000 times a 1,000 is a 100,000, or I don't know, it's a lot of money. And, and those families couldn't afford it. None of them could afford it. That's one it. mil. Yes. Over the, thousand 13, thousands. over the 13 years. We never got any funding from anyone. The only people that funded us every so often were private clients that I had would, would throw a few hundred dollars our way, and I would throw that directly at a doula that had been up for two days assisting a mother we the the mandate was to provide free doula services for marginalized families that was it we didn't have meetings we didn't have a fancy schmancy grant application regime we didn't have we didn't have anything we just had a bunch of really dedicated volunteers so tell us a little bit about your experience with mbc
1: well, I think I came in when, in about like 2010 and you had had the school running for a while, like you were teaching doulas and I think you'd already, um, yeah, you had like an affiliation with uh, Le Maison Bleu and the CLSCs and so I came in, um, I had done a little bit of training in vancouver and had also gone on a strange doula excursion to peru um but i hadn't i i think i was still looking to i don't know learn more about birth and um how and yeah do volunteer work be in community and i guess be with women was like i was motivated by that and so i was recommended um by a friend my friend Natalie said to check you guys out in your school and I remember meeting you and I think it was pretty much right off the bat you were just like yeah you're you're in you're you're good let's go like here's a client or like here's a few different clients and then I think we also started planning a fundraiser right away as well which was great um yeah but I think the major thing about uh, being a doula with NBC was the amount we just, we did. We didn't talk about what we were gonna do. We, like, it, w- it was very action-based, like you were just thrown in, you went, you met with women, you were with women, and you, or there was a lot of like apprenticeship, that kind of thing. Um, and less about like, planning and talking and and all of these other aspects of uh, not-for-profits or charities. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if that's, am I making any sense at all? (laughs) I feel like I'm just rambling. Well,
0: basically it's such a, it's such a crazy miraculous organization that we were part of. It's kind of hard to get that across to people because these days, the most of the volunteer organizations that I've had any contact with, over the past 10 years have been just like huge bureaucracies, either huge bureaucracies or little bureaucracies, or else weird kind of um, driven things that are just out to, to to kind of soothe someone's agenda. So the main
1: thing about- Right, and I civil- guess that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's just that it was like so hands-on, like we were just, we were in the mix from the get-go and you were learning. And I, th- I think that was the, one of the things that I took from NBC was being in sort of like an active apprenticeship role where you're learning hands-on with people. Um, and how, like all the subtleties that come with that, like all the things that you learn from being uh, like in relation to somebody as opposed to like being taught from a book or, you know, an idealized, you know you learn this is what a mother should want to do after her birth or this is what um this is what breastfeeding looks like for a mother or you know and so you learn all these things from from books or from in a classroom setting but then when you're actually like in someone's home or in a hospital or working alongside a midwife you see the reality of how what a huge range of experiences women have bearing children and breastfeeding and laboring and yeah it was really this like bit by bit you're building your your toolkit of like what you find is important as a doula and you know what women like actually need instead of exactly like you said like you take the bureaucracy away and all of these like idealizations away and all you're left with is like you know people's real experiences and and I can't think of another experience in my life where I've learned like that. Like, you know, I've been to school so many different times and you're always learning about the idealized versions of things. And then you go into the real world and it's completely different from what you've been taught or whatever that's. So, um,
0: there are a couple of pretty deep, uh, I would say, um, Accusations about what we were doing. One of them is, and we'll, I'll I'll say both of them, and then we'll talk about each of them. One of them is that uh, by doing the work for free, we were um, undervaluing people's other people's work who were doing, you know, charging a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a birth. That mm. was one of the accusations, and the other one, and I whatever I have my own opinions about that, but the other one is a little bit more serious, and that is just given the whole political realities that we live in going in as rich people and mostly as rich white people although i mean all of our doulas were not white but we're certainly more affluent than the people that we were serving Mm -hmm. um where does the kind of you know great white hope end and actually serving people begin and if Mm -hmm. you're learning something and you're taking something from it then how does that where's the arithmetic there what, what does that mean in terms of our, our equality or our inequality or how are we looking and talking at people that we're accompanying for free and so I'd like to address that. Right.
1: That makes sense. Yep. Um, should we talk about like sort of the undervaluing? Sure. Um, we can, the yeah, we'll talk
0: about that first, I guess.
1: I mean, it's hard for me to kind of um, speak to that because I was never a doula who was paid or, I mean, I never saw myself as somebody who's trying to do that as a profession. Um, So, I mean, the simple answer is you know, the women who we were working for and serving, they, it was not an option for them to pay for a doula service. And they, in a lot of cases, were like somewhat isolated and and wanted someone with them. So, I mean, I guess if we were going to talk about a math, if they don't have the money, they need a free doula. Like that's the, the bare bones about it. And, um... You know, I think there was sometimes difficulty within the organization with, like, the vetting process and the referral process. Like, um, it seemed like NBC always kind of had to do the work of um, sifting through whoever referred the client, like, and their intentions. You know, because it seemed like sometimes there was you know whomever whoever it was that referred, like that they had had an agenda in mind for this this client, you know, and then we'd meet with the client and we'd find out that their needs were completely different, like maybe mm-hmm. they just needed childcare or you know maybe they really desperately wanted like three or four women to be with them, or you know and it, it was always just kind of trying to gauge what that actual want of the the woman who was pregnant what you know like what what their their desires were um but i also i think i i jumped on to a couple of uh paid clients at different times and i always found those for myself personally those births to be a little bit more problematic or those clients to be a little bit more problematic it was more of like um like It's almost like when we were being paid, it's like we're saying that we're guaranteeing what their birth outcome is going to be, or that we're somehow responsible for that. And I think I was the type of doula who wanted the freedom to be with someone in real time and work with them as things were unfolding and like not try to control the outcome or, and I think as soon as money was getting, for me, when money got involved that, that's what was tending to happen. Like I was kind of signing up to say, Oh yeah, I'll make sure that, you know, your birth plan is fulfilled. And, and I just, you can't do that with, with birth. It's, it's a process that is like, you can't control like most real parts of life.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're kind of living through that now, I guess. Right.
1: So that's, yeah, I guess that part of it, like I just, I didn't, see a need to get paid for it and if somebody does value um themselves differently and does want to get paid I think that's awesome and I think um professional doulas do have like a bit of a different skill set like they do a lot of prenatal stuff that like I personally didn't do and I think the way our organization was set up like we we didn't get to do a lot of the prenatal stuff just because people were coming in late and people are coming in at different times and you know all the people had different time constraints in lives so um, it didn't make sense for people to be paying for, you know, like us to follow them for nine months. And what I was the other to, thing?
0: Well, I just want to go back a minute because um, you had mentioned in the beginning of the interview uh, that people, uh, that we would be referred from CLSCs and the Maison Bleu. And of course, everyone that's listening is from <laughs> So CLSCs are, uh, um, are uh, um, basically the way that the medical, that the, social medicare uh is kind of works out of it's the it's the clinics that are run by the province and funded by the province and the federal government and then the Maison Bleu was an organization set up by a family physician and and a midwife to provide care for marginalized families but um during the last few years of our existence. It was also word of mouth. So people would be uh, would yeah. not have immigration status and they would be, you know, someone would get pregnant and they would find through their friends, they would just kind of refer themselves or call me. I would get calls. I would get paged in the middle of the night. Sometimes someone, you know, had randomly heard of me and, and, and wanted a, someone to accompany them to the hospital. So, So just to kind of make that clear, Um, and yes, there were definitely different, different ideas on the part of the people that were referring and the Mm. people that were actually getting referred. And one of our jobs, I think always was to be human with
1: human, right? That was the only kind of way to make it through really. especially when you're you know you're sort of like yeah like if you're going to someone's house i remember one time um i think i was yale was on a birth who yale was one uh she was a long time NBC, who's now a midwife he called out to a, a birth way in like east montreal and yeah, I think, oh no, she was already there and she called me and she was kind of just like, hey, I kind of want to have a backup here. Can you come come out and meet us? So I went all the way to East Montreal. And I just remember this moment of walking into this woman's house. And, you know, she wanted us there. She wanted accompaniment. And she was figuring out going to the hospital. And I remember walking through the door and, you know, she was fully in labor in her living room. I've never seen this woman or met her ever. And just like that moment of, um, like just how real it is to be with people when they're going through something. And it's like, I didn't feel the need to introduce myself. She didn't want to know. She wasn't, you know, it was sort of just like, like, how are you going to be in this space with me Like, I also have to, like, be careful, like, what am I bringing into this woman's home with me um, while she's in the middle of, you know, contractions in her living room with, you know, another strange woman in her house, too? Like, so it's just, like, that part of human with human. It's it being, like, responsible with your own stuff. You have to be respectful of, you know knowing that I d- I don't know anything about this woman, but, um, I'm in her home. She's invited me here. How can I like be of service to her and respectful and also kind of like open at the same time. And it was just like all of these like human qualities that like, yeah, I guess you're, you're just separate from that. A lot of the time when you go about your daily life or like, you know, going to the shop or going to school or whatever, like, you don't often get to have those types of like real moments with people that you're not super comfortable with. And that was incredible. Like that felt like, you know, real community. And like you said, just like being a human with another human. And I don't know, the amount of responsibility it takes for all of us to kind of be that or be good at that. I don't know.
0: Well, I think the answer to that is that a lot of people don't really like that because otherwise NBC wouldn't have had such trouble in the end. I mean, basically, mm. a lot of people are scared of that reality of just human to human and and going for that kind of connection, which leads us to the second um, criticism, which is basically, uh, you know, going in and assisting someone where where your situation and their situation is so ri- ridiculously Unequal, where mm-hmm. you know that you have a warm home to go to, and you and I know that we've we've um, we've worked with families that literally didn't know where they were going to be the week after they gave birth, or mothers who, you know, had come from an abusive um, situation and were living in a shelter and didn't know where they would go once they had the baby. So, and and we come from you know homes and and food and and mm-hmm. financial ease and all that stuff. So. So what does that mean? How does that relationship play out between the affluent person who's, who's having the luxury of being able to assist at this other person's birth and that person who is alone and has a difficult history and maybe is just kind of desperate in terms of mm-hmm. what he's going through?
1: Well, it's funny because when we're talking about this, like, Um, you know, the word that does come to mind and, you know, a word that has been around a lot just based on, like, you know, the political climate that's going on right now is, like, um, is the word entitlement. And I think maybe some of the ways that that played out um, or plays out with doulas, and especially in the dynamics that we're in, Uh, Montreal birth companions it's I feel like sometimes there were uh doulas that sort of I guess like idealized birth and how birth should be and like the perfection of of birth and you know kind of like are in even entitled to certain ideas of um you know like how many of us feel that like if I was pregnant I'd want to get my kid like organic bamboo baby cloths and um you know the best silicone uh breast pump or and that was kind of where um like that perspective didn't really filter into um Montreal birth companions all that well because like you could see when, or or even that whole like um, this like happy like upper middle class like idea of like birth is going to be happy and and it's it's joyous and you're going to have like a pink baby girl or a blue baby boy and like or even like new age ideas of of um, like organic screw- food yeah organic food and and like even what like it means for like spirituality or like the candles you're gonna light It like you know the whole picture like coming to someone's home you don't know you don't know uh you know their backgrounds their sorry my phone's ringing um you know you don't know their wants or their their desires um And you've got a whole mind full of ideas of, like, what Western births should look like and how happy and joyous it's going to be. And, like, first of all, that's not what Western births are like, either. I think we're just good at idealizing what the picture should look like. Um, That's nobody's birth. It's it's any part of the spectrum. You can have, I don't know, you can have... any, any multitude of experiences and that's where I think it got, we weren't as effective um, is when, you know, doulas were coming in and not um, just meeting people. Like anytime you have a human interaction, you have to like meet the other person, they meet you and you guys try to find a middle ground to meet each other where you're, where you're both at. And I think that's the importance of working um, with groups of people who are from like all over different places in the world, different classes, different, you know what I mean, different experiences. And yeah, it's just like that idealization and and entitlement to like feel like you are allowed to idealize what birth is. I think that's where um, things would fall apart. I don't know if that answers the question directly, but um yeah and and the idea of like sort of like going in and gaining something from somebody in a who's in a vulnerable vulnerable position like i just think with all of these situations in life it's always about like checking who you are checking your intentions giving so much space and attention to um especially somebody you're trying to help, you need to like focus on them and their needs. If you're trying to help, it's their needs that should be central and you have to give them the space to express what those things are and be receptive. And like, if you can't do that, I think you're then infringing on people's, uh, you know, rights to be who they are or yeah, you're putting your ideals on somebody else and that's not going to have a good outcome. And I don't think, you know, we're particularly good at, um, not projecting our like ideals onto other people. I don't...
0: Even, even in just a really simple, I remember sometimes someone would come in and she would have, maybe she was carrying a baby that was, uh, a, a, a result of <coughs> sexual uh, violence or or maybe she had left the the father for whatever reason or who knows what and she had um, maybe come from a country where there was a war going on and so we know as as birth workers we know that it's difficult to recover from a c-section especially yes. if you don't have any money and you're living in a in a tiny apartment on your own and you know struggling from day to day but she knows her body and she knows what she wants and she knows that the thing that she wants is to just be put to sleep and, ha- and then be presented with a baby and stay in the hospital for three days. And so right. there is that edge of like just having to completely disrobe yourself of all mm. of your beliefs and all of your
1: judgments. And
0: even if you think that it's better for her,
1: it doesn't matter no like you can't you can't go in there saying what's better or what's worse and that's actually it's funny because it, it um is bringing up one big aha moment that i had for myself um and i think it was one of the first births that i ever went to and i think basically i think it was maybe a mom's uh second baby and she gave birth and i think the baby was in you know the little like warming bassinet thing and she was just good like she needed a minute she needed maybe an hour or whatever she wanted to take a nap she didn't want the baby on her in this like instant moment and i just remember that being a huge uh aha being like oh it's not one thing it's not every person is going to come here in here with one idea and like okay she has to do this skin to skin right this second it meant nothing about how much she cared and loved her baby. She just needed a moment to take care of herself. And and that was like a big that's really stood out to me because I was just like, oh yeah, like yeah, there's your preconceived notion of like what I don't know, birth is or what people are supposed to do. You know, it was that was really cool. And then, you know, you see all sorts of different thing and that uh, different things and everything is you know, for the most part, it's usually really okay and good. And even if it isn't, it's not
0: our place. I think that's the crux of it. As soon as you go in as the great white hope, giving advice. Yeah. What is that? Then then that changes things. But I think that that, like talking about it as a volunteer doula, this is the key to being a birth attendant is to know how to sit on your hands and keep your tongue and, and not say anything and just let it happen. Not, not if you're a midwife. Obviously, if you're a midwife, you're responsible for the, you know, the actual health of the mother and child. But as a doula, that's absolutely what we are meant to do.
1: I fully agree. And even to the point sometimes where, um, you know, like one of the clients would be asking me a direct question about like, do you think I should do this or do you think I should do that? And just sort of being like, I don't think I'm necessarily, I know I'm your doula, but I don't think I'm necessarily the right person. Be asking this question like I don't think I have you know I, I could help you weigh out both options or that kind of thing but it just felt it always felt odd to me to kind of give definitive answers to somebody of like yes you definitely should do that you know it's mm-hmm. like I don't like I don't know what you should do like I, but I'm gonna be here while you decide like but yeah I really agree that that's probably that's not the the role of the midwife but the role of the doula that makes sense
0: so what was the funniest situation you got yourself into when you were working for NBC?
1: holy cow um oh, i'm trying to think of like an action like mbc or just me and you out gallivanting <laughs> <laughs> like, um Well, I remember, oh yeah, I remember watching um, NBA Finals with a laboring mother and her boyfriend and Yale again. And that was incredible because the boyfriend was super involved in, in the game. I can't remember. I think it was when LeBron James was still playing for Miami and yeah, just watching this mother, like, kind of go through these surges, and they kind of always mirrored, like, what was going on in the (laughs) game. That's great. great. yeah, it was pretty awesome, until, and then she just kind of got to a point where she was like, okay, I'm not going to make it to the end of the game, and yeah, we had a good time, that was a pretty good time, I also remember one time, uh, a woman's husband was making her, he was trying to make food, because he wanted to make sure, like, she had she was fed before she went to the hospital and he was just making her like so sick with food smell <laughs> she couldn't handle it she just had this like lavender oil essential oil underneath her nose like the whole she would just anytime she would smell the food she'd just be like <laughs> it was it was very really cute and there was the time that I came and met you in an apartment and you had the been dog for very long time with the dog was there <laughs> and you were wondering if it was if there was a minotaur in the other room. <laughs> I know. It seemed like a minotaur at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun. I mean there's so many different like experiences. And each one was like, you know, you can remember each each person like individually. It was always like something fun to get into.
0: I think the most important thing about going to both is that every single until you get to the point where you feel like you're not learning anything anymore, at which point you should quit. Right. Every single experience teaches you something about not about not just about the nature of both,
1: but about the nature of being alive. Totally. That's the the richest part. Totally. And like how many different it's also cool um seeing people's partners and like how many different responses partners have and Yeah, it's really interesting. I do, I remember seeing a really young man who was the father of a a baby-to-be, and he was so, uh, you could just tell, he just had this, like, stone-cold, you know, face. He was, like, stiff posture. It was kind of trying, he was a bit over it or whatever. He was just kind of like... I mean, he was probably just dealing. And then I remember when he heard his, his baby cry, cause he wasn't actually in the room, he was on the other side of the door and he heard his baby cry and he just like, he just heart melted and just, you know, teared up. It was so sweet. Like, yeah, it was really cool to see. I mean, and that's a moment where like a young man is becoming a father. That's crazy to witness that. And like people yeah. going through that kind of stuff. It was awesome.
0: So if you could do, if you could do things over again, would you start MBC up again? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I mean, it's hard. um, I think getting all of your doulas on the same page and, and, um, maybe there would have to be more discussions just to make sure that everybody's like kind of mind is in the same spot and kind of has similar intentions or something, I don't know. I, I mean, it's difficult because there were so many people coming in and out because we were all, you know, we were volunteers, like, you know, people are giving up their time to to be there. Um, but absolutely, like, I and I think we were talking about this before, but how many midwives have come out of NBC, like currently? That, that have gained experience at, through
0: the organization yes,
1: so, many. so yeah. many, and how many go to midwifery school and realize that not, you know nobody else in their class has ever even been to a birth or yeah, yeah it's really valuable experience. Um, if you were going to start NBC again, wh- is there would you do it differently or would you affiliate with different groups or? what would you want to do
0: right now? I feel like the culture and the climate has changed so much. It would be impossible. I think we just had a magical moment there because right now, like the thing that closed it down was basically three things. There was political instability within the organization. People were expecting the organization to be more than just have a mandate to, um, to provide free doula care to marginalized families. Mm-hmm. It was more than that. It was fundraising. It was some kind of, just all sorts of language that I don't really understand. It's bureaucratic language that I have no time for. Right. I'm the kind of person that doesn't even have papers for almost anything that I do. <laughs> I'm an anarchist, so how am I gonna you know, have a board and have meetings and all that crap? I'm so busy anyway, I don't have time for that. As and we, it takes away from
1: everything that yeah. we were
0: doing. So there was that and then there was that really terrible, terrible thing that happened where the hospital, um, okay. the hospital policy was only one doula, one, two support people allowed in and so a very abusive friend of the laboring woman was allowed in and, and so the two doulas had to split shifts and one of, and, and one of them was sexually assaulted by this friend. So That really uh, was kind of a death knell as well for the organization. Um, But more than that, I feel like doulas these days are so, um, you know, so, so what was that word that you said? That's the common word that I can't remember now. It's not privileged, entitled. Entitled. if you're just learning how to be a doula and you finish level one, you've maybe learned 20 hours of being a doula, suddenly you have to be paid so then literally what about all the people that don't have enough money to pay you right i don't think i would find volunteers at this point
1: right and i mean i don't want to like poo-poo on on working doulas too much but like if you have the money to pay for a doula like in a sense you may not need a doula (laughs) like maybe i don't know like i know maybe that's not totally true but like it just seemed that the point of what we were doing was, you know, to be with people who wanted someone there. But like, if you're paying, you know. But I
0: think in the, in this broken maternity care system, everyone needs a doula, to be honest, because this maternity care system basically takes really, really healthy and strong and educated and not educated and not healthy or weak or whatever kind of woman and just like takes them in and basically squeezes them out and a good sixty percent of them come out traumatized. So it's totally so yeah, it is a good idea like to have a doula. Yeah. Right.
1: Right.
0: But yeah, I don't think the volunteer organization would work at this point. Because I think right. we're too difficult to place in our history and I think that it, it ran its course. A bunch of them went on to be midwives and a bunch of them also went on to be um, radical birth keepers themselves in different ways other than midwifery school.
1: Mm-hmm. And a
0: bunch of them went on to be um, free
1: mothers, which is super interesting as well, so. That's the funny thing, I think the takeaway for me too was if I ever did have kids, I can't imagine I feel like I would be like kind of like a free birthing, like I'd probably be just be doing it in my home. I don't know if that's crazy, but yeah, I, I can see how a lot of them will go on to be just free birthing mothers. Cause.
0: So that was another part of the organization that we were always kind of dancing on the edge of, you know, le- legal things and not legal things. Cause I know that we took advantage right. sometimes of, of the unregistered midwives if we had someone that simply couldn't afford to pay for the hospital. So Hmm. that was, you know, I think that's also over. It's a chapter that's over because the the powers that be have effectively shut that down in Quebec as well. Right,
1: right. And we should talk a little bit about that part of like how important that was when, um, was it like the, the Harper government took away refugee status, healthcare? That was insane. Yeah. And like those people literally defaulted into like anarchist care groups <laughs> in, in a lot of sense. Yeah. They
0: had to. They 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 weren't going to be able to afford, you know, 10 to 15. Remember what the the actually the woman that that owed the most in the whole history of MBC ended up owing $39,000 for her birth, which I know you listeners in the US that's nothing, but here in Canada it's quite something to know that people actually pay that much
1: to give birth. And especially in, in Quebec too, like, you know, Quebec has like whatever higher taxes and, you know, lower salaries in some sense. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's an absurd amount of money.
0: So if you could, if you could sum up everything that we did and, and, and that you did and all of your experiences and, and your hopes for the future of birth in one word, Hmm. what would that word be? I would say alive. Oh, that's great. That's (laughs) wonderful. Talk a little bit about it.
1: Uh, Just so many invigorating experiences, um, getting to be in touch with, you know, real life, um, some of the rawest aspects of life, and just knowing that no matter how many layers we you know in our weird capitalist life there's layers of you know we live in our homes and have our buyer clothes and whatever we build these like little houses around ourselves and our idealized little lives that like we aren't separate from uh In you know, unlike those, more I don't want to say what's the word like, not animalistic, aspect like, but we aren't separate from real life, we aren't separate from reality, no matter how much we uh kind of try to control and you know, safeguard ourselves from the chaos that is life. Like, you know, seeing women give birth and being in community with people in that way is like, that's real, that's some ancient shit right there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll end on that. No, that's, that's great. That's, that's true. And it makes me sad that I'm not doing it anymore, but
1: you're still doing it. That's, that's who you are. So you, you're always going to be doing it. I think you.
0: (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, you brought back some nostalgia for NBC.
1: All right. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I'm always glad to learn from you.